0: Good morning again. It would be hard for me to overstate how appreciative I am for the opportunity to be here this week. And hard for me to overstate how excited I've been to be here. And how much I've been looking forward to it. Been counting down the days, so to speak. It's been a couple of years planned. And I'm just happy to be here. Happy that you're here. And my job this week, at least as the way I see it, is to present things to you that will motivate you. That will encourage you. And that will help you as we all walk together in our lives with Christ to change, to be more and more molded into the image of the Son of God. If we've done that, we've hit our mark. This morning in our class, short as it was, we talked about the idea of postmodernism, And we started off with this idea of the, the twisted phrase, my truth will set me free. And we talked about how this seems to be the prevalent thought process in the world today. Not everyone thinks this way, but a lot of people do. The Bible, of course, teaches that Jesus says, the truth will set you free, not my truth or your truth. But while we dealt conceptually this morning, and we talked about some ins and outs of the postmodern way of thinking, and as I mentioned, it's not crucial that we remember that, but we've seen what this is. I want us to turn our attention this morning into an area in which we are finding great and severe effects ...of the postmodern way of thinking. And that's in the home. You might think, how does a thought process that seems to be based on hypothetical arguments... ...and intelligent discussions affect our homes at all? Well, I assure you that it is. When we realize that we're surrounded by this way of thinking... ...we need to understand that we're not immune to the effects of this way of thought... ...nor are we immune from maybe uh, thinking that way ourselves from time to time and it impacts the church, and it impacts the family. When you look at the family from 70 years ago, a lot of times we look at the past and we idealize, and I'm not trying to do that, but we can see for sure that there was at least a greater percentage of families that were the nuclear family as God designed it. Families that were at least to a degree built upon the godly principles of what families should be. A mom and a dad uh, who were who are together in the home. Now, due to the cor- through the course of events, that has changed. We see more and more broken homes that are plagued by divorce and infidelity and things like that. We see more and more gay marriages and marriages that are not signifying the biblical pattern that has been revealed to it. But I'm not talking so much about divorce or gay marriages this morning. I'm talking about things that are a little more uh, pertinent to us, perhaps. Things that could be going on in our marriages and in our homes and in our parenting that might demonstrate a more modern way of thinking than we would like to admit. And so let's jump right in with our lesson this morning. The first thing I want to talk about that seems to be a sign of the times is this idea of children ruling the home. And a lot of times we see frustrated parents. This morning I was a frustrated parent, Lauren was too. And sometimes that happens and we deal with the the strong will of our children. But in those moments, there comes a time when we have to be the ones who are going to be more stubborn. We're going to have to be the ones that say, it's going to be my way. It's going to be the right way. We are training you, not the other way around. And so what we see is too often children are becoming the authority in the home. Now before we throw up our hands and we say, I know it's tough being a parent, because it is tough being a parent. We can all agree that on that. But the thing is that they are not stealing subversively the authority in the home. It's being handed to them. It's being handed right over. Okay, kids, what do you want to do? How do you want this family to go? And so we can see right off the bat that this is not the biblical pattern, yet it leads to problems in the family. And it leads to problems when these children, who have been given complete authority of the home from their youth, grow up and they come, to, uh, they come meet somebody else that's been given complete authority in their home, and there's problems that arise. But I think it's important to note that when children become the authority at home, that is not the godly process. That is not the way he intended it. And it is not being stolen from parents. Whenever we decide that we are going to give in to our our children, when we decide that what they say, we'd rather just not have the fight. We'd rather just let them have their way this time. Because this time becomes every time because kids are smart. And they'll pick you apart if you're not careful. That makes it sound like parenting is really scary and all. And it is. But we are not doing our part to maintain authority as parents, as moms and dads. It is our job to say, no, this is the way God designed the family. As hard as it may be sometimes as problems come up, this is the way we've got to do it. And so we see this acted out, where the children's whims, they, they determine everything that happens in the family. Now remember, we, we said that children are not stealing this away. They're not all the time making demands. Rather, when they get active in these different things, we determine that, well, you know, I can't I can't make the services all the time because my kids got sports on Sunday morning, or we're going to be out of town uh, due to a tournament on Saturday, and we're just not going to be able to make it back in time. What is that? Who, who is in control of that situation? Well, the parents have the God given authority, but the children are the ones in authority of that situation because their events are dictating the course of the family. Whether it's sports or school or extracurricular activity, we see families that are more and more too busy with the children to focus on their marriages. And the, the home is suffering, and the home is falling apart, it's crumbling. We find families where if the kids aren't happy, nobody's happy. And when the kids aren't happy, it doesn't make for happy days, but we work through that, don't we? Why is this happening, though? Why is this happening where children are ruling the roost and they're running the show? It's because, as parents, we are not planning well. Remember in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You want to talk about doing something that is useless? That is ridiculous. Try building your home without consulting the Lord's plans. That is futile and it is vain. And it will not work. You can't hope for things to just magically turn out the way you want in your family, with your children, and with your spouse, if you're not first and foremost keeping God's blueprint in front of your eyes and in the forefront of your mind. So we've got to build. We've got to to consider the plan that God has revealed to us. But we're also failing to lead. These go hand in hand, don't they? If I'm not planning, it's probably because I've not taken stock of my situation. If I'm the kind of person that's not planning, well, I might be the kind of person that's not leading too. Proverbs 22, verse 6, you know this passage. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it couple of things that I like about this verse is this verse indicates to us that there is a way that children should be trained. A way they should go, right? Do we disagree at this point? Train up a child in the way he should go. Now again, postmodern thought might say, well, here's the way my child should go. Your child might need to go a different way. Because agree to disagree. You do what you want. I'll do what I want. Don't tell me how to run my life. Now, while I am by no means trying to tell anybody how to run their lives, we are sharing today in the Word of God. And the Word of God says there is a way to train your children. There is a way they should be going. And this has good benefits for the future. If you want your kids to turn out the right way, you've got to train them to go that way. Don't just hope that they make it. Back in Psalm 127, later on in that passage, it says that children are like the arrows of a warrior. And blessed are you if you have your quiver full of them. There's two weapons, spiritual weapons, so to speak, in the Bible. One of them is the sword of God, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And the other is the arrows that are your children. While the sword is an up-close-and-personal means of defense or attack, arrows are something that you shoot, and they hit a target that's far away. When you're training your children and you're pointing them the right way, they're like arrows that you're sending that direction. If you want them to hit the mark, you've got to send them the right direction. You've got to train them up in the right way. And when this isn't happening, when we see parents who are either leaders or they're politicians, they are either setting the course or they're going to go whichever way their constituents want them to go, we see families that are falling apart. As parents, we're not politicians. We're not checking the polls to say, what's our our satisfactory rating? Because a lot of times, kids just aren't going to like what you're doing. But that means that we should stick to the course. What else? What's another reason why we're failing as in, in the family? Why things are crumbling? Well, it's because we fail to fulfill our God-given roles, our God-assigned roles. Consider Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Look at what God has given for the fathers to do. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. By the way, I'm using the English Standard Version this week. Unless otherwise noted on the screen, they'll be from that version. Fathers, don't provoke your, provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God seems to think that fathers should play a strong role in training their children. When you consider Proverbs 22:6, train up a child in the way that he should go. Who do you think bears the brunt of that responsibility, mom or dad? It's the father. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when he says that you need to talk about the Word of God, and when you're rising up and when you're lying down, and you need to remind your children, who's he talking to there? He's talking to fathers. That doesn't mean mothers don't do anything, of course. But do you see the flip-flop that we have in our society where the moms are the ones who are training their children, who are teaching them the Bible, the father's not, he's busy off doing other things. Life is tough, life is hard sometimes. but We have God-given roles that we must be fulfilling. In Titus chapter 2, I don't have this one on the screen. Titus chapter 2, I remember from several years ago that I was supposed to memorize this chapter. And I never got it. I never got it. I just thought I'd carry my Bible with me so I could just read it. But beginning in chapter 2 of Titus, verse 1, Paul here is telling Titus, Here are some ways that I want you to encourage the people where you're teaching. The roles that they ought to be fulfilling. Look in verse 1. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's healthy doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much one. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. We've got a passage in Ephesians that says, Fathers are bringing them the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the discipline and instruction. Paul tells Titus that we are to be training our young women to love their husbands and to love their children. And of course, teaching them the way they should go is incorporated into that. That's what instruction needs to be. That's what we've got to be teaching our young people now. You read this passage and, and you know, oftentimes we get offended and we see older men and older women. We think, hey, I'm not. I'm not an old man. I'm not an old woman. It doesn't say old. It says older. Older than the people that are younger than you. How old do you have to be to fit into this characteristic where older women are to teach the younger what is good? Do you have to be elderly? Do you have to be a grandmother or a grandfather to fit this bill? No, I would suggest that if you see people that are just a little bit younger than you, and you can help them, that you need to do that. That's your responsibility. This passage is not for the elderly and encouraging them to make sure all the young'uns are doing what they're supposed to do. It's for all of us to make sure we're all being taught to walk in the way of godliness so that we can fulfill our God-given roles. But also, why are we failing? Why are things falling apart? It's because we're failing to teach and emphasize and reemphasize the importance of having respect for authority. This is something we didn't talk too much about this morning. But you know, in this postmodern way of thought, this uh, not, not having a, an absolute truth, basically when we question truth, we question authority. Truth by nature is authoritative, is it not? It tells me something that's true, and I have to uh, react to that in some way. It has authority. But if I'm, not, uh, if I'm not respecting authority, maybe I have this way of thought that says, well, you know, I'm just going to do what's right for me. We're not teaching our children to respect this authority as well. Colossians 3.20 children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I should have brought the boys to listen to this one. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is not for babies. This is not a passage for toddlers. This is a passage for babies and toddlers, because as parents we know what they're supposed to be trained to do, and it's a passage for middle schoolers and high schoolers and college-age kids and grown kids, because we are to show reverence to our parents. That is pleasing to the Lord. Remember, in the Ephesians' counterpart to this, Paul says, because it's the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well if you live long in the land. You want things to be good in your life? Listen to your mom and dad. By and large, they're trying to do what's best for you. Just like our father is trying to do what's best for us in heaven. He's trying to do what's right. The child might say, you can't make me do this thing. There's hardly a challenge as a parent that makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up and makes you want to address that problem in a very calm and patient way than when a kid says, you can't make me. But on the other hand, we've got parents who says, wow, I guess you're right. I guess you're right, I can't make you. Do whatever you want. I doubt that exact verbiage occurs in houses. But you see it played out time and again. The kid, all he has to do is whine or throw back a little bit. And the parent says, okay, I don't want to pick this back. I don't want to deal with this. And so we have parents that seem to not be able to make their children do anything. And this goes on throughout the child's life where they are not ever made to do anything. They have no respect for authority. And then we get to what we see today. This didn't just suddenly happen. And it's not going to just suddenly stop without working on it. Remember Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Verse 6 we've already looked at, but verse 15 says that folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. If there's no absolute truth, then our children are right when when they say that we can't make them. But if there is absolute truth, and I believe that there is, and if the Word of God is true, and I believe that it is, and if that has impact on my role as a father, or yours as a mother, or a husband, or a wife, or as a child, that means that passages like Proverbs 22.15 tell me that when a child is acting childish, it's my job to correct that behavior and to teach them how to, be, uh, how, how to grow up in the way that God would have them to grow up. So there is truth. And we need to impart that truth to our children. And we need to do it not so much in the beat your kids every day type way, but remember Deuteronomy chapter six. Think about the Word of God. Teach them to think about the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. Speak about it. Sing about it. Pray about it daily. That's how we train them up in the way they should go. So we've got a situation where children are ruling because as adults because it's not the kids' fault. It's the adults' fault. We're not planning. We're not leading. We're not teaching them to to fulfill their roles, and we're not fulfilling our roles as husband and wife, as mom and dad. And we're not teaching children to respect authority. Let's move on. Moms and dads, if you feel like I'm beating up on you a little bit this morning, it's me too, and it's because it's on us. It's on us. How the home goes, how the children go, it's largely on us. There are crumbling marriages happening all around us. We've seen this increase over the past several years, where the divorce rate is something over 50%. But the marriage... Now, pay attention to the words here. The marriage is the hub of the family. When you think of the word hub, uh, unless you deal with a lot of computers or something, you might think of a wheel, right? Think of a wagon wheel. That part in the middle that holds all the spokes together that connects to the outside rim. That's the hub. That's where everything goes and connects. Without that hub, everything falls apart. It has no strength. The marriage, not the children, are the hub of the family. If you want your family with your children involved to stay together, marriage has to be the priority. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast, be glued, be cleaved to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That idea of one flesh has many meanings. In addition to the, the common ones that we think of sexually, it has to do with their, the, the way they view things, the way they think, their shared goals and desires and ideas. But children are to someday leave their parents. They're someday supposed to get out of the house, and when they find a spouse, they are to be, be stuck together with that person. So that nothing can pull them apart. And that's what it means to be wed. And so what we see here from just this one verse is that there should be attention given to this primary relationship. We should take great pains to make sure that our marriage relationship is the best and the strongest and the godliest it could be. Because if it's not, if the marriage is not where it's supposed to be, don't be surprised when the children aren't where they're supposed to be. They look at us for stability, don't they? They look at us for how to act, for how to live. And your parents will, priori- will appreciate you for prioritizing your marriage. If you want to grow up to, to raise your children in a way where they don't know what's coming, don't have a good marriage. Let the marriage suffer. Put the kids first. They might be happy for the moment, but in the long run, it's going to be devastating. We've got to put our marriages first. And that's actually going to be better for our children. Don't feel like you're shortchanging your kids because you need a date night with your spouse. Or because you need time in prayer with your spouse. Or if you need to find a babysitter, go do that. I know these, you know, I don't guess babysitter is really a scriptural term. But what I'm getting at is we need to focus and prioritize on strengthening our marriages. That's the best thing you can do in your family. Point blank, the best thing you can do. And so we see that marriages are crumbling because the roles are reversed. We talked about this a little bit in why children are taking over. Because moms and dads aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. But in the husband-wife relationship, we see that crumbling as well. How does this happen? You've seen it happen. How does it happen? I believe it happens because the man is given the leadership role. That's what God says. That's what the Bible tells us. And if the man does not do his job in leading the family, what happens? That strong woman... She's not going to let things fall apart. She'll step in. And she'll be the leader in that, in that family. Is that the way God designed it to be? No, it's not. That's, that's sort of just scraping to get by at that point. But when that man continues to let that happen, and he never steps up into his leadership role, then the family is not being operated the way that God designed it. Roles are reversed. That's causing marriages to crumble. Men need to be strong. They need to be leaders. They need to be the ones who are planning first and leading first and and setting the course for their family. What happens when the marriage is not taken care of? When it's not tenderly kept? When it's not cultivated and, and fostered in strength? When the roles are reversed, what happens? Well, when the kids leave home, the marriage falls apart. That's what happens. We've seen that before. You probably know people who who as soon as the kids left the house, all of a sudden their parents are getting a divorce. It's like, well, what happened? It's like, well, over the course of our lives, we didn't spend enough time on each other. We realized we were strangers in the same house because we spent too much time focusing on other things that weren't as important. So what's happening? We focus on the children, even after the baby years, when you have to focus on them. And the the, the marriage is going to struggle. It's going to suffer for that. What are some Bible-based solutions? How do we fix this problem? How do we fix it? Well, number one, parents, let's talk about you. Make a plan. The first step to fixing a problem is to not let the problem happen in the first place. What is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And there's a bunch of those like that. We need to be making a plan. What's your family goal? Husband and wife, when you get married, start, start talking about what you might want your children to be like one day. What direction you want your family to go? Even in your marriage relationship, what's your goal as a family? Who do you want your kids to be? If you plan now and follow that plan, then things will go well. If you wait until you notice a problem and then you try to go back and look at your plans, you'll be disappointed. Parents, we need to make a plan and lead. We need to disciple our children. Disciple our children. Well, that's a funny way to say that, right? What about Proverbs 3, verse 11? The writer says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Disciple your children. What is it to be a disciple? It's to be a student. It's to be a follower. You want your children to be your disciples. Not that they put you as the the first and foremost of everything. Because as Paul said, imitate me as i imitate christ it's a chain chain reaction right they look at us and we're disciples they are disciples to us because we are being like christ so therefore they're disciples to christ and we teach them and we trans, transform them in their lives and so a, to make a disciple you have to teach that individual you have to teach them you have to get them on board with what you're saying and what your goals are And we've got to turn that willful child into a willing disciple. That doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen without a great deal of prayer and consistency and planning. But it can happen. I came across a phrase that says, Discipline is an expression of delight in your child. The more parents delight, the more effectively they discipline. And the more effectively they discipline, the more they will delight. Don't raise your kids to be people that even you don't like. Raise them to be people that you delight in because you have trained them to walk the Christian way. And you've taught them to respect authority and to love you and to love one another and to be generous and kind. Parents, we've got work to do. And of course, we've got to teach the Bible to our children. 2 Timothy 3.15, remember how Paul talked about Timothy. He says, "...how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation." Uh, through faith in christ jesus from his childhood from his childhood need we say more of that what about children oh children yes we have things to do as well as children and you have things to do you are to respect and honor your parents as, as difficult as they may seem to be sometimes as hard-headed and and order as they may seem to be sometimes we need to remember that god has put that on our plate that's our rule. children obey your parents in the lord for this is right Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. You want to have a good life? Learn to respect and honor your parents. That's important. And parents, expect them to uphold this. Don't let them off the hook if they're not obeying, if they're not upholding this. What about men? We've talked about parents generally, we've talked about children generally, but what about men? Number one, we've got to lead the family. If a man is not leading the family, there will be problems. Here in First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, A man must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. This is in the qualifications for an elder, for an overseer. But it understands that a, a godly man is someone who is managing his house well, who is leading faithfully. What about Ephesians chapter 5? Turn back with me there to Ephesians chapter 5. And in these few passages, we'll round out our lesson in just a minute. Look at Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives. In what way? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. i what about verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That means that we are giving ourselves over to our wives. The Bible talks frequently about treating others as more important than yourselves. What relationship should that be more crucial in than the marriage relationship? If I'm not treating my spouse as more important than myself, not only am I not following a general command that we should have towards other people in general, but a very specific application of that in the home. Our wives should be treated as more important than ourselves that means we've got to lead we've got to love and honor and give preference to and pay attention to and learn to understand as difficult as that is and it would help if we weren't annoying sometimes what about women women have responsibilities too go back to chapter uh, chapter 5 and verse 22 of ephesians if a man is supposed to lead a woman's supposed to be submissive to that leadership in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is not some antiquated teaching here. This is actually following on the tales of a passage that's about submitting to one another out of a love and reverence for Christ. Everybody should be submitting to everybody else. And like in Philippians 2 we mentioned, Give preference to one another the wife should do that as well. And this is the way that God has designed it. Be his support. Support the man he's married. Give him wise counsel if you have it. Help him to be a better leader, but trust him and follow him. That's what it means to allow him to lead. But to put him first, he's got to be the most important person in your life, he's got to be the most important member in your family. Don't place him beneath the children. Don't place them beneath the children. Children are important. We love our kids. But I think all of us could understand that if we were down the totem pole from the kids, we we wouldn't feel too good about that. What we've seen today is ways that the marriage is suffering, the family is suffering, the home is falling apart, because we're not holding to godly truths. That's the long and short of it. How do we fix it? We go back to the old ways. We go back to these paths that have been laid out for us in the Word of God. There are a lot of other family problems that come about from this flawed way of thinking that we're talking about today. Men don't know how to be men. They don't know how to be husbands. They don't know how to be fathers. Women don't know how to be women. They don't know how to be wives. They don't know how to be mothers. Children don't know how, what role they're to play in the family. And they're given everything they want. But God's word and his instruction in the families must be held above all. Especially among Christians today, right? The best example of a fatherly love, though, and true family. I think about the prodigal son and the father who stood waiting for his child to come back. He was loving, he was generous, he was kind, and he expected good things out of his children, but he was there to accept them back. When we think about what's been done for us by our Heavenly Father in giving us his son who died for us, That right there should put the brakes on all the other excuses and problems that we can come up with, that we sometimes let cloud our minds. That's number one, isn't it? That's of first importance, that Christ died, was buried, and raised from the dead. He did that to save our souls. That's the most important thing. So before we put to practice these things from our lesson this morning, why don't you start there, in your relationship with Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you've never been baptized into the, the waters of baptism, in the likeness of his death and burial, to be raised to walk a new life, to have your sins washed away, why don't you start there? And if we can help you to make your life right with Christ this morning, come right now while we stand and sing.